So I was uh, sitting at a Chinese food restaurant in Houston, and across from me was a, a close friend and colleague. We both taught at a nearby college uh, at the time, and this was one of our favorite places to eat. It was 15 years ago. Uh, Shane and I had had dozens of deep conversations at that restaurant about everything from theology to politics to sports to philosophy. But the discussion we had on that fateful day will be forever etched in my mind. It changed my life. It was on that day that I woke up to the world as it really exists. On that day, I began the long and hard descent into the rabbit hole that continues to this day. And it all started because a man I respected very much, an intelligent, educated, and biblically astute man, cared enough to expose me to some lies that most other Christians believed. I'll never forget the conflicted feelings that I had as I sat there listening to Shane and thinking to myself, this guy is smart, um, even brilliant, I would say, and yet what I am hearing come out of his mouth is complete nonsense. It has to be, I remember thinking. But, you know, I respected him too much to just dismiss what he was saying without looking into it myself, and so that began my journey into the real forces behind what is going on in our world. I looked behind the curtain, and I've been examining every corner of the stage ever since. And so the message that I'm going to be talking about in this first hour and also in the worship hour addresses many of the realities that I uncovered that day. Now, there's no way that I can really begin to uh, deal comprehensively with all of this, but I'm basically picking and choosing a few uh, topics from a broader 14-hour video series that we did last fall called Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, and so if you want the full treatment, if, you wanna, if this piques your interest and it's something that you'd like to kind of go down the rabbit hole and study for yourself, then um, you can pick up either the DVD set. We also sell the same uh, 18 videos as a downloadable uh, set, so you can uh, check with us at the table there. Um, but this is kind of based on that series. And uh, what I'd like to do is just start by giving you the premise. And again, I'm going to have to kind of fly through this, so hopefully you'll get enough of it stick somewhere in the process that uh, really makes a little bit of sense. But what do we mean by spirit of the Antichrist, the gathering cloud of deception? Well, it all goes back to the book of First John, written in the late 90s or mid to late 90s AD, so toward the end of the first century, one of the last books of the New Testament to be written. And John tells us that it's the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist, notice the capital A there, speaking of that future world leader, the tyrant that will rule the world under the satanic powers and a one-world system, demand that everybody worship him, uh, persecute and kill Christians and Jews. Uh, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. That's how we know it's the last hour. We also read in 2 Timothy, another key verse, undergirding this, this, the premise of this series, that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Going back to 1 John, we read, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice, which you've heard was coming, we already talked about that, but is now already in the world. So now we know many Antichrists, lowercase a, have, have already populated the earth, and the spirit of the Antichrist, capital A, is already at work in the world. 
Later, the, or in a different passage, the Apostle Paul, speaking also of the, the, the future Antichrist, puts it this way, the mystery of lawlessness, again, is already at work. So in other words, <clears throat> as we look at God's plan of the ages, Satan has been trying to take over the world since he got kicked out of heaven. Uh, he's a prideful uh, demon, the prince of demons. He's also a liar. Jesus says he was a liar from the beginning. He's a murderer. And since he couldn't have heaven for himself, he wanted to take over the earth. And so he's been involved in this cosmic struggle for 6,000 years now between God, the eternal creator of the universe, and himself, trying to take over uh, the world. And as God unveils more and more about the plan of the ages in his word, we learn that this battle is going to reach a climax during a future seven-year period, variously referred to in Scripture as the time of Jacob's trouble, the overflowing scourge, the great day of the Lord's wrath, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation or the great tribulation period. It's that final seven-year period just prior to Christ's return to inaugurate the kingdom. And in the lead-up to that, the Bible tells us in this present age, things are getting worse and worse and worse. It's called the last hour, sometimes called the last Days. Depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. It gets worse and worse and worse. And anybody that tells you that things are going to get better and better and better and so, and some point in the future will be so good that the kingdom will just naturally occur is reading a different Bible. Because our Bible says that until the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, sits on the throne and makes all things new, things will get worse and worse and worse. This world is is called the, the devil's playground. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, John tells us in 1 John chapter 5. And so the last days refer to this present age. Now, again, I don't have time to break down all of these uh, different charts, but I did want to quickly put it in perspective. You see the church age there, highlighted in yellow, that is what the Bible calls the last days. It's the final age in God's plan of the ages until the kingdom comes. The, in other words, the only age still yet to come is the kingdom age. And so that's the last days. The end times refers to everything from the rapture all the way toward the new heavens and the new earth. So as you read the Bible, you find that one-third of the Bible is prophecy, one-third of it, and half of that has never been fulfilled yet. So that means that one-sixth of the Bible remains to be fulfilled. One-sixth of the Bible pertains to future things or the end times, as I've got it highlighted on the screen there. Now, sometimes we'll come across churches that uh, have a complete and utter disdain uh, for the end times, not Bible churches like Cornerstone or the church that I'm a part of, Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, but it's become very common, and it's also a fulfillment of prophecy itself in 2 Peter 3, uh, for churches to just completely shun end times prophecy. And I call those churches the 84% club, because those churches are content to study 84% of the Bible and not the whole counsel of God. They're quite comfortable ignoring 16% of God's self-revelation to mankind. But not me. I believe we need to understand the full picture. We need to understand uh, what God has revealed to us. He didn't give it to us in His Word for us to just ignore it. So we're 100 percenters. We believe in studying the whole uh, counsel of God. But the last days, if you look at a panoramic view of history, is this age right here, the age that we're in, the church age. Again, the only thing left to happen is the kingdom. At some point, the church is going to be rescued before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath. Uh, that final seven-year period when everything climaxes with this cosmic struggle between the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God will un unfold on the earth. Satan himself will indwell the Antichrist, according to Daniel 8 and 2 Thess 2. 
and uh, he will rule in a tyrannical form uh, of government. So these are the last days, and Paul warns that in the last days, perilous times will come. Again, we know it's the last hour um, because many antichrists have come, even though one antichrist is coming. The word antichrist is a cognate in, in Greek. In other words, we just transliterate it from Greek directly into English, antichristos. Anti meaning false, Christos meaning Christ. If you look it up in a lexicon, it means a couple of things. First of all, false Christ, obviously, uh, as in an imposter. But it also means against Christ. Anti, that prefix, can have that idea of against Christ. When we come to the Antichrist, the future world tyrant that will rule the world, he is both. He is both. I love what William R. Newell said, that great uh, uh, Bible teacher from the first half of the last century. Uh, he said, all satanic activities are carried out under the double motive of, number one, uh, rule and uh, ambition to rule and be worshipped, in other words, false Christ, and ultimately a hatred toward our eternal creator, God himself. That is, he's against Christ. He's trying to take over the world. So this whole series that I've worked on for many, many years and kind of culminated in this video series, although it's, it's going to be a lifelong study until the Lord comes back, for me anyway, because I want to understand the world through the lens of Scripture, is based upon this premise that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. As I said a moment ago, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And so we're going to look at this morning, a few manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, if this is true, and of course it's the word of God, so we have to accept it as true, and if we're getting closer and closer to the Lord's return, we don't know when that's going to be. We're not here to set dates. We can't do that. Anybody that does that is, is mishandling the word of God. But we do know that things are getting worse and worse. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy 3.13. And therefore, since the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, it follows logically that we should see an uptick in the types of characteristics that uh, will be manifested during the Antichrist's regime. So all we have to do is go to the scriptures, that 16% of the Bible that's not fulfilled yet, look at what it has to say about the Antichrist, who will he be, where will he be from, what will he do, what will his characteristics be, what will his temperament be, what are the types of things that he's going to impose upon the world summarize those, and then we step back and see, are any of those types of things ratcheting up in this present age? And in fact, overwhelmingly, the answer is yes. We see the stage being set for this rule of this uh, tyrannical, uh, satanic leader, the Antichrist. So where will the Antichrist power come from? We need to be aware of that, and we know from 2 Thess 2 that it will come from Satan himself. Um, there are two times in human history when Satan, the prince of demons, did not leave anything to chance. He did not delegate uh, certain tasks in this battle with God himself to other demons. Remember, one-third of the angels became demons when they fell with Satan. Uh, there were two times in human history when Satan said, this is too important, too pivotal a moment in this battle for me to delegate it. I've got this one myself. Both occasions were when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh, made himself vulnerable, put on human flesh, came to the devil's backyard in his territory, and the devil said, ah, I've got him. I've got him right where I want him. The first, of course, was at the first advent of Christ, the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, and Satan uh, indwelt during Christ's earthly ministry, a man by the name of Judas, 
Remember, demons can indwell unbelievers. We know from the biblical record that Judas was an unbeliever, and he indwelt Judas. The Bible tells us that in the Gospel of John. And, and Judas betrayed Christ and ultimately led to Christ's death. And Satan thought, we've won. The battle is over. I'm the victor. But of course, we all know what happened three days later. Uh, Christ rose from the dead, de defeating darkness, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And Satan must have shrieked in horror. And for the last 2,000 years in particular, since that pivotal moment in human history, uh, Satan has really been pulling out all the stops, desperately recognizing that his time is short, desperately recognizing that he's, he's, got, to, he's got to do something. Uh, and then as I talk about in, in one of the videos in this series, Spirit of Phenomena, and talk about the paranormal, we know that around 1947, 1948, when Israel became a nation once again, Israel, uh, the Antichrist or Satan recognized right then that things must be getting very close. And so we see all kinds of manifestations of the spiritual cosmic struggle between Satan and God, between angels and demons that the Bible talks about. So uh, the second time that Satan will, again, not delegate but, but take it on himself is in relationship to the second advent of Christ. So once again, after the rapture, when Satan recognizes, because he knows the Bible, even though he doesn't believe the Bible, he knows the script, when the, the Lord rescues the, the church, the bride, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Satan will then once again recognize that Christ is coming back to his playground, coming back to his turf, so to speak. Remember the Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And in that moment he will indwell, I believe, the Antichrist based on passages like this one and also Daniel 8. So we know that the Antichrist power comes from Satan. In the book of Revelation, Satan is referred to as the dragon who gives authority to the beast. The beast, of course, is the Antichrist. That's John's name for the Antichrist and also Daniel's name. Uh, in Daniel 8, this passage is referring ultimately to Antiochus Epiphanes, but it prefigures and foreshadows the ultimate Antichrist when we read, His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, because Satan's going to be the one empowering him. So Satan is the great deceiver. Uh, Jesus tells us that, he was a liar. Uh, he doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks from his own resources because he is a liar and the father of lies. So the two things that I'd like to spend the rest of our time in this first session uh, talking about in terms of manifestations of the future Antichrist are the spirit of pretense and the spirit of power. I don't know if we'll have time to get through all of the second one, power, but though, those are two of the many that we dive into in great detail in the full uh, series of Spirit of the Antichrist. But before we get into this spirit of deception, which is really the underlying premise, the underlying mode of operation uh, for uh, Satan and the spirit of the Antichrist today, I need to clarify a couple of things because we're going to talk about some stuff that you may not have really thought much about. And I find as I've been teaching on this for 15 years that uh, people often when they're confronted with new information, have this cognitive dissonance and they, until they've had the time to really look into it and say, oh, okay, I, I get it. It, it doesn't, uh, they kind of have a visceral reaction. So I want to point out right from the start that I don't believe in conspiracy theories, of course, except the ones that are true. And a conspiracy theory is simply an agreement between two or more entities to commit a crime or do something wrong or nefarious or sinister. And in fact, uh, about 75% of all federal criminal prosecutions have conspiracy in the charge. And, and a great deal of state cases involve prosecutions for conspiracy. So if conspiracies don't exist, as the mainstream 
media and the global elite try to convince us. If conspiracies are simply the far-fetched machinations of the mentally ill, then there must be a ton of mentally ill attorneys out there. Now, come to think of it, you know, maybe there's something to that, I don't know. By the way, speaking of lawyers, Steve, what's the difference between a lawyer and God? God doesn't think he's a lawyer. How many lawyers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, three, of course. One to climb the ladder, one to shake it, and then one to sue the ladder company. So. All right, one more. What is the difference between a jellyfish and a lawyer? I'm going to keep going until I get some laughter besides Steve's courtesy laugh. What's the difference between a, a, a jellyfish and a lawyer? Well, one is a spineless, poisonous blob, and the other is a small sea creature. So the term uh, conspiracy theory has become this pejorative label that implies some kind of tinfoil hat craziness. But in reality, we know as a matter of documented fact that the term conspiracy theory was invented, was made up by the CIA in 1967. Uh, there was a document that eventually was released through a Freedom of Information request called CIA Document 1035-960, which clearly says that they were they created this term conspiracy theory as a means of discrediting different truth movements. It originally was came out in response to the Warren Commission's report on the JFK assassination, which was complete and utter rubbish and filled with holes and everybody saw right through it. And so people began asking all kinds of questions when that could not obviously be true. And the CIA said, we've got to come up with some way to discredit these people. Let's give them a label. Let's call them conspiracy theorists. This document was, was stamped Psych, short for Psychological Operations. It was part of, it was also stamped CS, part of the Clandestine Services Unit, and it first came to light, again, based on a FOIA request in 1976. And ever since they created this term, they've been using this term, conspiracy theory, and many others as a, in their own words, and you've seen, we've read academic journal articles about this, there have been all kinds of studies on this. The, the term that they use is a psycholinguistic tool for mimetic hegemony. Now that's a mouthful. It sounds like something an academic would come up with. Let's break it down. A psycholinguistic tool, meaning having to do with language, for mimetic, having to do with memes, labels, you know, that you use to label people, hegemony. Uh, meaning dominance or control of the Luciferian elite. So in other words, the Luciferian elite have been using psycholinguistic tools and labels to discredit people. So that today, when you say something that disagrees with the established truth, all someone has to say is, you're a conspiracy theorist. And somehow that has discredited you. Even though a conspiracy theory is simply a theory about two or more people working together to commit a crime. Detectives use conspiracy theories all the time. It's how they solve crimes. Now, one of the guys, and by the way, we're seeing the same psycholinguistic tool today with the terms fake news. Uh, that is a psycholinguistic tool. Um, and I've been the victim of that uh, several times. Our YouTube channel at Not By Works has received two strikes and three warnings. And we finally went away from YouTube because they kept taking down my videos because I dared to do things like quote medical doctors, quote from the Journal of American Medical Association and the Lancet and other journal, New England Journal of Medicine and other reputable peer-reviewed scientific uh, virology studies and things. But because it, what I was saying in the videos and what I say, for example, in the eighth series in this one on big pharma and vaccines, 
doesn't comport with the official narrative, they said, we can't have that, and they just banned the videos, took them down. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I have been a little bit of experience with this notion of fake news, but Cass Sunstein, uh, who worked in the Obama administration, has really been at the tip of the spear in promoting this uh, conspiracy theory attack on anybody that stands up for the truth. In, in a, a journal article uh, that he wrote in the Journal of Political Philosophy, he said this, what can government do about conspiracy theories? Oh my, we've got to do something to stop these people. Well, first of all, we can ban conspiracy theorizing. And secondly, we might even impose some kind of penalty on those who dare to disseminate such uh, theories. He also recommended a program uh, that he called Cognitive Infiltration, according to which the government would plant uh, paid agents to move into truth movements and spread misinformation, ridiculous lies that would discredit uh, the whole movement. In his book, uh, Conspiracy Theories and Other Dangerous Ideas, he talks about some of those things. So we need to understand that uh, a conspiracy theory is a legitimate thing. It's used in legitimate ways and has been for centuries. And in fact, the Bible has a lot to say about conspiracies. I don't have time to go into it, but I, I look up the Hebrew and Greek words for conspiracy, show you where they're used in the Bible, and again, show you that conspiracies are nothing new. It's simply two or more entities working together to achieve a harmful or evil goal. And uh, the greatest conspiracy of all time is the conspiracy to take over the earth. Uh, David talked about this. We know Psalm 2 was written by David because of what we read in Acts chapter 4. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? What are they plotting? Well, the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth are plotting and taking counsel amongst themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. That's against God the Creator and Christ the Son. And they're saying, let us break their bonds and cast away their cords from us. They don't want God to be in control. They want to be in control. They ultimately want to take over God's planet. And we know that's not going to succeed, uh, but they are trying very hard to do that, and we are living in the midst of that struggle. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, what we can see. There are unseen forces in the hidden realms that are behind a lot of what we are seeing. And so if there's one thing that you take away from my sessions this morning, this one and the next one, uh, and by the way, in the second session, we're going to talk about how to overcome deception, how to spot it and 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 be able to discern it. It's this. Things are not always as they appear. Very little about what you've been taught, what you've heard, what you've learned in the government-controlled compulsory government schooling, which was taken over in 1918 by the Rockefeller Foundation, where they came, came out and put, put their people in charge of the textbook industry, put their people in charge of the higher education on the boards that hired the faculty, and 100 years later, what have we got? We've got a generation of people that think, for example, that we all evolved over millions of years from a wet rock, that our ancestors were monkeys, that life isn't sacred, that gender doesn't matter, that you should teach your four-year-olds that they, they're not male or female, that you should teach eight-year-olds how and, and what types of uh, physical relations to have with others. That's where we're at. And that was not by accident. That This isn't the natural, organic occurrence of depravity of man. This was targeted, intended, and is being fulfilled rapidly before our eyes. So the greatest conspiracy of all time, according to Scripture, is a conspiracy involving Satan and two co-conspirators. First of all, human agents, 
human beings that he's using uh, to accomplish his goal, and of course, demons uh, in the spiritual realm. Again, Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. So this series really focuses on the human aspect of this conspiracy. Uh, we know a lot about the demonic aspect of it, but how is it manifesting itself? How is the spirit of the, man, of the Antichrist manifesting itself in this present age? So in the series, we go through seven manifestations. There are many. We could have, if you study the Antichrist on your own, you may come up with a list of 10 or 15, and you may pick a different top seven. But all I did was make good notes of everything the Antichrist is going to stand for and do when he's in power. And then I kind of disseminated it down to kind of the most prevalent seven in my view. And then I said, do we see an uptick in these types of things in the present age? And you'll be amazed uh, at, uh, at the answer and at how prevalent it really is. So uh, for the rest of our time, I'll just give you a few examples of the spirit of pretense or deception. Again, all of this, the full detail is available in the DVD set, but the spirit of pretense is essentially deception. What do we mean by pretense? If you look it up in a dictionary, it's a claim not supported by fact, a false <coughs> showing of something, a false or hypocritical profession. In other words, it's deception. And we've already seen uh, that the Antichrist is going to work with all lying wonders and deception. In 2 Thess 2, with all unrighteous deception is how he's going to operate. Deception will reach an unprecedented height during that seven-year period. In fact, it's going to be so bad that Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 and 25, when he is describing that final seven-year period, the first words out of Christ's mouth when the disciples ask the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, when is the kingdom going to be inaugurated? What will it, you know, what's going to happen? How will we know we're getting close? First thing Jesus said is, be not deceived. And then he continues to repeat that several times, four or five times in the Olivet Discourse in his answer to that question. Because <clears throat> at that point, after the rapture, deception is going to reach unprecedented uh, heights. In fact, uh, we read in Revelation that he's going to deceive <clears throat> those who dwell on the earth. And he's going to require everyone to take the mark of the beast. And indeed, uh, all unbelievers will take that mark, and he will have achieved complete and total world dominance and control. So the question then is, are we being deceived today? And if so, how? Manly P. Hall, that uh, uh, Satan-worshipping uh, Canadian, uh, said, quote, There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes, dancing while the, while the invisible ones pull the strings. In my book, The Great Last Day's Deception, the cover, if you look closely, shows a marionette with puppet strings down to, to key uh, global centers in the world, like Moscow and the U.S. and so forth. And it, it's kind of a vivid picture of what those in play actually recognize is really happening. So one of the key ways that th th we perpetuate this deception is through weapons of mass deception like mainstream media. It's astounding how many people blindly follow the mainstream narrative, even many Christians, especially given the fact that they, the media is on record through congressional hearings that they have been controlled by a global elite since the 50s. Um, you know, Operation Mockingbird was a large-scale program in which the CIA 
sent literally thousands of agents into every television station, even down to the local level, newspaper, magazine, all of the major media outlets, and controlled the narrative. Some of you may remember a, a, a mainstream a Fox News analyst or, or a personality named Bill O'Reilly. Remember, he had a segment on his show before they got through with him, and he didn't need him anymore, uh, called uh, Talking Points. Well, he didn't make that up. That was part of Operation Mockingbird. I'm not saying that that particular segment that he was doing was Operation Mockingbird, but that term was invented by the CIA as a means of, here's what you're going to say today. Here's what you're going to do today. Now, I want to show you a short clip. It's about two and a half minutes. And uh, let me just make sure that my volume is up. I'm going to try to hold a microphone up here so you can hear it. But this will prove one of, and there are many examples of this on uh, the Internet. You can watch it. But it just shows you how the media is controlled today, even down to your local stations, even right here in uh, Lubbock. So let's watch this clip. Hopefully you can hear it. That's William Casey. There's no question that. about the fact that Mockingbird is real. It started out paying journalists in major media, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, to print fake stories uh, that the CIA wanted in the press and fake interviews. And this was revealed in the Church Committee. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing? And of course, then the CIA destroyed the rest of the files, which is what they do. George H.W. Bush came out and finally made. Can you hear that okay? Made the statement about Mockingbird. Well, we're going to officially stop the Mockingbird program. The CIA will no longer pay journalists to write stories. From now on, the program is voluntary, which means Mockingbird continues today. When's the last time you've seen a mainstream media outlet do a serious investigative report on the actions of the CIA? There's a reason for that. This would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. You say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. So, most of the time, they're reading a script. And this is, you know, there are lots of examples of that, that 
was just one example. But, um, you know, you'd think given how much is going on in the world today, it's a big world, 7.5 billion people, that uh, if, if in news in, in, uh, industries were independent, news outlets were independent, that at any given time they would not be covering the same thing. And yet you turn on Fox News and CNN and they're always covering the same thing. Why? Because it's controlled. It's mind control. It's a way to get you, uh, you know, listening and, and, and following the same narrative. And unfortunately, as Mark Twain put it, it's easier to make people believe a lie than it is to help them undo that. Um, in other words, that was paraphrased often. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Or Leonardo da Vinci put it this way. <clears throat> there are three classes of people. Those who see, those who see when they're shown, and those who do not see. It's deception. It's the spirit of pretense. The 18th century British theologian William Paley put it this way, there is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and that principle is contempt prior to examination. In other words, not studying things for yourself. Uh, I show a, an example of a Forbes article that came out earlier this year that blatantly said, whatever you do, don't do your own research. Just trust us. You're not smart enough to do your own research. That's what it literally said. So leave the studying to, you know, the experts. What they mean by that is they're experts, right? Because when you have experts that say just the opposite and that expose the lies, uh, then they, they ban them, they censor them, they shut them down. But they don't want people doing what God's Word tells us to do, which is to study, to study things, to be think critically, to think for yourselves. Uh, Carl Sagan, by no means an example of, a godly character, but he understood this. He said, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled <coughs> excuse me, long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. In other words, once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Hitler understood this. He said, there is a principle which is quite, quite true in itself. In the big lie, there's always a certain force of credibility. This is often misquoted or paraphrased. The bigger the lie, the more it will be believed. Why do you think uh, we have people today who literally believe their ancestors are monkeys? I mean, if you'd have been sitting in, say, the 12th, 13th, 14th centuries before uh, Darwin and, and Galton and some of the other eugenicists came up with this. Dar Darwin, by the way, was not a scientist. He was a eugenicist. Um, and you were just sitting at a Starbucks in the Middle Ages and, and talking, and you said to your friend, you know, I bet one day everyone on Earth will think that monkeys are our relatives and we all descended over billions of years from a wet rock. Your friend would have looked at you like you were nuts. There's no way people could ever be duped into such a lie. And yet today, you know, it's mainstream. And they've taught it in seventh grade biology for 100 years now, and, and we are bearing the fruit of that. Uh, Vladimir Lenin said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. See, these Luciferians, they understand deception better than we do, and they understand how to use it as a weapon. And that's the reason that Eric Blair, better known by his pen name George Orwell, famously said, in an age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. That's why when a ministry... As small and, and in the grand scheme of things, not very significant, like not by works, promotes the gospel, teaches people that there is 
male and female and teaches people that you have to believe in Jesus Christ to be forgiven for your sins and avoid the penalty of eternal damnation in a literal place of torment called hell, that's considered revolutionary. And the, the internet will ban you and say you can't be a part of it. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in more about this cancel culture that has really arisen uh, in the last this year, really since the election and all the shenanigans that took place there. And I might also mention that one of our videos is on the fake election. Uh, but David Fiorazzo, a good friend of mine, wrote a book that just came out in the last couple of weeks called Canceling Christianities, and, it, and it's flying off the shelf. But he talks about uh, big tech censorship and, and what that what is happening there. So we're just about out of time. I want to close by giving you one more example of deception. We're not going to get to the spirit of power, but that's all right. I kind of figured that was uh, going to happen. But you need to know the name Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays is considered the father of, of public relations. Uh, he was hired by the government uh, and many private corporate entities in the you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, he died in 1995, but to help d persuade people, to change people's thinking about certain things. So he's the one that was responsible, for example, for changing the Department of War to the Department of Defense after World War II, right? Um, that's too, it's too harsh to call it a Department of War. We, we've got to call it a Department of Defense. You know, now we still go out and take over other countries for their oil, but it's no longer an aggressive thing. It's for our own defense. And so he was responsible for a lot of things. Let me give you a couple of quotes and then a couple of examples of his campaigns. He said, whatever of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacture, agriculture, charity, education, or other fields, must be done with the help of propaganda. Men or people are rarely aware of the real reasons which motivate their actions. He goes on to say, a presidential candidate may be drafted in response to overwhelming popular demand, but it is well known that his name was first decided upon by a half dozen men sitting around a table in a hotel room. So he was very big in a part of advancing the uh, tobacco industry's uh, objective. So he was hired by many cigarette makers to do campaigns like this one in which he claimed many doctors smoke camels. Uh, uh, more doctors smoke camels more than any other cigarette. And he was single-handedly responsible for getting women to start smoking. Originally, it was not something women did, but it became socially acceptable because of some of his uh, campaigns. Here's one, 20,679 physicians say luckies are less irritating. Um, and here's another one there, uh, you know, uh, promoting women. And then he would get big opera singers uh, like this lady who was famous in the, back in the day in the 50s. You need this throat protection too. Smoke these brands of cigarettes and it'll be good for your throat. You know. And this other one, I'm, my throat's insured for $50,000 and I smoke cigarettes. It must be okay, women. And he even got pregnant women to smoke cigarettes. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? Uh, he was also hired Here's some more uh, cigarette ones. Also hired by the soda industry uh, because every young infant needs more high fructose corn syrup, of course, right? Um, you know, how young is too young? Uh, not young enough is what, what they're saying. Uh, for a better start to life, uh, start cola earlier. And then if you read the uh, fine print there, it talks about how getting kids to drink soda will help their self-esteem and make them popular with other kids. All right. And if you think that these types of ad campaigns have stopped, you don't understand deception and, and the nature of depravity. 
So everything we see today is a part of an ultimate Luciferian agenda, and it's our job, as Paul says, to be lights in this perverse generation, to discern the truth, to see, foresee evil or trouble and prepare for it. Uh, the New Living Translation says it this way, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So one of the main goals of my series was to just get people to think for themselves and to understand that things are not always as they appear. Now, there's not a demon behind every bush. Not everything is controlled by the conspiracy, the Luciferian conspiracy, but a great deal of it is. And we need to be able to discern uh, the difference. So the other topics in this first of the seven categories that I deal with in the videos are things like the false left-right paradigm. I mentioned the fake news and censorship. Geoengineering, if you've never studied that, it'll blow you away when you see what they're doing right before our very eyes. False flags and, of course, vaccines and big pharma. So we'll stop there uh, for now. In the second hour, I wish I had more time with you to kind of go through some of these others, but since we focused only on pretense, I want to go into how to overcome deception. What does the Bible have to say about how we as believers who know the truth the truth makes us free. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can knowing him help hedge our protection against this great last day's deception? So let me pray, and then we'll take a break before worship. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that this uh, study from your word would really resonate and uh, pique the interest of those here, and that, that it might drive us to your word and cause us to study it uh, more for ourselves and begin to see uh, what is uh, hidden in plain sight in many cases. Lord, thank you for this church and the privilege of uh, sharing in worship with them today. We ask your blessings on the hour to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you are dismissed.